0: This is Omi Shade Bernie Scott of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And one of my most favorite quotes from Tony K. Bambara is that it is the role of the artist to make revolution irresistible. And when I think about artists and creatives who lean into that charge, who live that charge, who walk that path, Courtney Reed Eaton quickly comes to mind. Courtney is an artist, an activist, a storyteller, a curator, a documentarian, a native New Yorker who resides in North Carolina. And we had the opportunity to sit down to talk about how our narratives and identities continue to evolve as we age. The stories that we heard as young people, the stories that we've told ourselves about who we are and what we deserve, they change, they morph. They shapeshift the same way that we do, and they invite us back to ourselves. They invite us to get to know ourselves. They invite us to put down the baggage, and they invite us to create art and stories and portals so that other people can find their stories too. I know that you're going to enjoy this episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, so sit back and relax, and we thank you for listening. My name is Omi Sade Bernie Scott, and this is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, introducing Courtney Reed Eaton. Hey, Courtney. Hi, Omi. Thank you (laughs) for coming and sitting with me today. And listen, for folk um, who are listening to this episode, Courtney bought people. (laughs) With her today, and they're they're sitting with us by our microphones. It's like our own little mini altar of of different people. You want to you want to introduce us to the people before we start Thank our conversation. You. You're
1: welcome. I, um, <clears throat> I brought my grandmother a button that has my grandmother's high school graduation picture on it, mm-hmm. and her name is Maud Evelyn Peters mm-hmm. Nichols was her married name. Ah, And she didn't know that her name was Maud until she went to get married to my grandfather. Everybody always called her Evelyn because my my great-grandmother's middle name was Uh Maud. And so she had named her for herself. (laughs) And but they called her Evelyn, so she thought her name was Evelyn. Then she went to get married, and she learned that her name was Maud. That's hilarious. Yeah, and I really love that name. I I think it's a really like an ugly beautiful name. Maud.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember that show Maud? Yes. Uh, The author. (laughs) That that show was really good, and it was also like really radical because Maud had an abortion. Do you remember that? I do. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal in the seventies for this woman who was married. And also, she wasn't
1: traditionally feminine mm-hmm. in that television show character
0: mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Like she
1: wore her like flowy cap down things, mm-hmm. and she was like a big brassy broad. Yeah, she yeah. was a broad.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very cool.
1: Yeah. Who, el- who, who else
0: she? do we have?
1: And um, my mother, Lorraine mm-hmm. Yvonne Nichols mm, Reed, mm-hmm. was her married name, and. This is a picture of my mother. Actually, on my wedding day, mm-hmm. my mother served as my person of honor, mm-hmm. which was kind of crazy and weird, but like also your, like true. Your,
0: your matron of honor. Yeah,
1: yeah. I couldn't pick a friend. Like I just couldn't decide on a friend. Mm-hmm. It just was seemed too uncomfortable and weird. Mm-hmm. So I just had my mother as my matron of honor and my sister was eight at the time or oh. something like that. Okay. So for me, yeah, I think she was like eight. She was a flower girl. Yep. Cool. That was it. That was it. And then I brought pictures of Bride Me. Courtney the Bride. Courtney the Bride. Who I got married we got married in May of nineteen eighty two and I turned 24 in September of
0: 1982,
1: 23. So I was 23 when Ken Eaton and I got married. And, um, I think about that a lot because both of my children are now, well, Hunter, my son is quite older than that. Mm-hmm. And Iona Pearl, our daughter is also older than that. And the I mean, Hunter is married, but he's 34 years old. Iona Pearl is, 25, and I think that's so
0: young. That's so young. Uh, <laughs> these are lovely. Wait, I love the baby's breath in your hair, mm. which is so like late 70s, early 80s, right? That's it's very, the time. very mini Ripperton, right? <laughs> um, and then the, the the parasol, like you had a whole like Daughters of the Dust situation going on. <laughs> this is really great. And then these these last two, fantastic headshot pictures that we have with us. Um,
1: We met as actors. We were both acting when we met. Mm. And so
0: we Mm. had headshots. You did. We had
1: headshots. You had
0: fantastic headshots. Y'all are beautiful. You know, it's interesting. It's like sometimes, like, I think we were just saying this. When you look at a picture of yourself and you kind of think about how you experienced yourself then, you have some kind of dysmorphia around what you looked like and how strong you felt or attractive or valuable or whatever and then you look back you're like oh like i was kind of you we were hot court mm-hmm. hot like the yeah. so hot is the word oh, yeah. hot is the word ah!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but just my relationship to my body was so challenging mm-hmm. then so this is like a big tangential thing mm-hmm. but I started developing breasts when I was like eight. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so my mother slapped a training bra on those things so fast Mm -hmm. that there was no, I didn't have an opportunity really to even claim them Mm -hmm. or feel comfortable with them or get with them. Mm -hmm. Like immediately they were something that needed to be like
0: contained
1: and strapped down. And Mm -hmm. so my relationship to my body as a young person was just really...
0: Did she ever take you to any of those old ladies with the tape measure around their neck to get your size, to get properly sized? Mm -mm. That's a whole ritual. Mm -mm. Yeah. I feel like there are people I know. I I mean, that happened for me when I got married, but there are people I know whose moms or their aunties took them to get sized because not only when they they started to develop, but they started to develop quickly and it was clear that they were not going to be able to wear cheap bras. And so they like took them to Macy's or Nordstrom or whatever to get size, and it was like the older lady with the tape measure she, around her. You neck. know
1: what? We might have done that, mm-hmm. and I've just <laughs> erased it <tape laughs> from my mind. It, it, it's it, a thing. It's because you had to. It yeah. had to happen at some point in mm-hmm. order to ever know what
0: size you were. I guess, or you know, yeah. just kind of shooting in the barrel and being like, that looks like a D ish. So think you, <laughs> oh, you figure you figure it out you figure it out but I appreciate you bringing yourself because this birthday is what for you
1: I just I
0: turned sixty one
1: this past September
0: yeah. yeah 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 so you just invited a new person into the conversation which actually, is what I was thinking about when I wanted to talk to you because we talk so much about stories and storytelling and looking at ourselves now, there's a story that's present, but there's also an integrated story, right? And so so I've been thinking about what's the story that's present for me and how all these things are integrated. But I I wanna start with stories because um, why don't you tell people what you do And then I also want you to think about, not only for what you do, um, but who you are, why stories are important, Mm -hmm. especially our stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So since June of 2001, I've been the exhibitions director at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. And that involves scheduling, sometimes curating, always installing and generating supportive programming for exhibitions of documentary work and that's photo moving image sometimes narrative writing sound so all of the different ways that documentary can be presented i'm trying to figure out ways to do that for a general audience so that people can have a different level of engagement with documentary work. Mm-hmm. And um, for the past two years there, I've also been the creative director of a pilot program called the Documentary Diversity Project, which mm-hmm. is about creating opportunities and pathways and networks for young people of the African diaspora, specifically in America right now. Mm-hmm. But um, we've had a, uh, Eight emerging documentary artists over the two years and three post-MFA Master of Fine Arts mm-hmm.
0: degree fellows work with us. Mm-hmm. And so stories, the stories that live, that come out of these spaces that you are kind of ushering, midwifing, curating. So I, I was an only child
1: uh, until I was... Eleven. My my little brother was born when I was eleven, and um, my mom was a single mom for a lot of my earlier childhood. But she got married again when I was ten, and mm-hmm. so my siblings and I have different. They have one father. I have another father. But uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and I spent a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. And I listened to. I had tons of records that were stories mm-hmm. like. Tubby the Tuba, and Peter and the Wolf, Peter and, the and Wolf. Sleeping Beauty, and Cinder, like just all kinds of records that were out at that time, so it was the early to mid-60s, and so I would just be in my room listening to stuff yeah. constantly, and I did watch a lot of television also, mm-hmm. but my grandfather, mother's parents definitely were day-to-day helped raise me, and uh, my grandfather was an itinerant. Artist like he was a poet. He was a musician. He also was an electrical engineer. That's what he did for his job. (laughs) He
0: did a lot. So he? he did a lot. He had a whole lot going on. He had
1: a lot going on. So my grandfather and and he was also an immigrant. So my grandfather told the story. The story that I learned from him was that when he was. 15 his mother had died his baby sister had died Mm. His brother had left older brother had left the year before my grandfather was from St. Kitts Mm -hmm. from the island of St. Kitts and um, His brother had left the year before to come to the United States And so when he was 15, he just decided he was gonna come to the United States and find his father and Mm. live, live with his father He knew his father and his father was a merchant marine, mm-hmm. is what he told mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And so he stowed away on a merchant marine ship and got to New York mm-hmm. and got to Harlem and, and uh, yeah, lived with his family. So, I mean, though I grew up with stor- yeah. epic stories like yeah. that. Yeah. Or my grandmother's family, her parents also came to the United States from St. Kitts, uh-huh. where they proceeded to extend their family to 10 children. So Mm. they had 10 children. And then my great grandfather disappeared. And there was a story that he wanted to go back to St. Kitts and she didn't. Uh And so he left and he left her here with 10 children. My grandmother was the next to the youngest. Uh But then over the past few years, I've talked to older cousins and I'd asked my mother about it before she passed. And she was like, I never heard that. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. So I don't know if I made that story up <laughs> or if I overheard some weird things. Right. But, and I spent a lot of time with grownups. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time around grownups. Mm-hmm. And so I was always doing a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. And so I loved stories. Yeah, yeah. And when I came in, I was talking about secrets and not secrets mm-hmm. and like things that I was told that were bizarre and random Mm -hmm. and that I didn't really know what to do with. So one of those things was Mm -hmm. when I was 11, my mother sat me down in the kitchen and said, so when you were born, your father and I were not married. Mm -hmm. And then we got married when you were two years old. Mm -hmm. And when you were born and we weren't married, the uncles, her uncles, Mm -hmm. my great uncles, were very angry and they didn't come to your baptism. Mm. Like that was pretty much that. That was it. That was right. like
0: the whole story. And then she was like, "Okay, go play." Yeah. yeah. Then
1: like you know, go go, go on yeah. then. And I guess she told me because she didn't want it to come up in some.
0: Yeah, and you'd be thrown off by way. it. Way, right. yeah, and right. me feel a type of way about right. it. But right. in fact, I did feel a type of way about it because I was sure like, "You did. What does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then you were like ten or eleven. Yeah. So then then you get to create a whole other story around this story.
1: Precisely. Right? Like, well, I'm,
0: now I'm going to, like, take it to a whole another level because I'm a kid, and it's just like, I have questions. But you also, I don't know if you felt like this as a kid, I felt like I couldn't process. Like, the kids who I interact with now, even my, my own children, but the commu- community kids that, you know, we are blessed to have in our lives, they process things so quickly, and they also, I feel like, are... Really, really wise. I don't recall (laughs) processing quickly at all or having, I think, would be considered a cogent conversation with an adult until I was like in my late teens and I felt like I could hold my own in a conversation, whereas there are some of the kids that we interact with, our own kids, in fact, who I'm just like, what kind of conversation are we having right now at 10? Like, I feel like if you had said that to Taj or to Iota, they would have been like, "Well, I have I have questions. Mm-hmm. What exactly does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, did they come back around? Did they ever apologize? And there would be there would be so many more questions involved in that story.
1: Well, I think I think our generation of parents encourage questions, mm-hmm. and I know that my mother did not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. like often mm-hmm. I heard children should be seen and, and not I heard. heard.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Often, mm-hmm. or the other thing, little pictures have big ears. <laughs>
0: it's like,
1: yeah, because you told me not to talk. Right, I'm, I'm gonna listen. What I'm here. What I used Are... to get
0: put get put out the kitchen on a regular basis because I would get real quiet, and then my mom and her girlfriends would be like, "Get out of the kitchen!" We'd be like, <laughs> um, "Damn, <laughs> foiled again." Because <laughs> I sure enough was like ear hustling hard, <laughs> and we also had lots of cousins, and so. We had older cousins who, like, if I ear hustled enough information, I could go to an older cousin who would either be like, that's none of your business or like, yeah, so here's the real deal. But anyway, I, yeah.
1: But Mm -hmm. I think that that's, you're you're saying this, that makes me think that, I think that that's how healing happens. Mm -hmm. Like, when you can repeat the story Mm -hmm. and give yourself time to process the story, Mm -hmm. you can understand the story in different ways Mm -hmm. or parts of the story that may have felt traumatic or painful to you, mm-hmm. you can convert into some kind of power. Mm-hmm. I believe that because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I did that.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty I, sure I did that. I um, was thinking the other day about some of the stories that my mom shared with me, probably in that last two years of her life that I wish I had known as a teenager, mm. right? Like when she, my mother was born in 1930 and, um, came up hard in Eastern North Carolina where they were very, very poor. And she was separated from her mother and her younger brother after her dad died because it was during the Depression. And also, it was like that period between the Depression and World War II and everybody's struggling. Everybody's like really trying to like do the best they can to feed the mouths that are already at the table, let alone take on more mouths because my grandfather had passed away and my grandmother had polio, so mm. she couldn't work. And so the story that my mother shared with me in the last couple of years of her life really started to help me understand her her fixation on us staying together, mm-hmm. like us being a team, us not being separated from each other, her real, I don't know, doubling down on no matter what the family kind of like constellation looks like, we're all family. So she was not the person to do that's your half brother, that's your mm-hmm. half sister. She was like, we are not here for none of that shit. Mm-hmm. And it made sense to me because I can imagine what she didn't confirm but this is the story that I get to create now is that people made distinctions mm-hmm. they were like well that's Irma which was my grandmother and Mary which was my mom and Coley which was my uncle those are your cousins or that's their kin sometimes you don't even know how you're related they're kin and they're staying with us for a little while but that's not your sister mm. I don't know if that happened it may have happened I do know that as a kid growing up, she was very adamant. And we have a, a blended family of being like, that's your brother. That's your sister. That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear anything else out your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And now, as I'm sharing some of the stories of our family with Taj and the same thing I did with Shay, I feel like I have become like our, our family docent, <laughs> you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, I get to invite you know, you come into my home and there there are these altars that are in here, these shrines that are representative of our family, our ancestor shrine, and I feel like our, our ancestral docent. There are times when I'm introducing Taj to a particular person or an artifact that's a part of who we are. I remember
1: that video oh of gosh. you sharing those earrings with him. Oh my like, god, that was so beautiful.
0: And he was and he's totally into it. He's just like these belong to my great-great-grandmother. Like, how do you even have these? I'm like, because they're in our family. He's like, these are valuables. <laughs> I'm like, they are <laughs> valuables. But I know <laughs> my sister and I used to rifle through. We were our our own docents with each other as kids in the 70s. We used to rifle through our parents' shit on a regular basis, like go through their top drawers and the side tables in the bedroom and just find all manner of things and be like, Oh, that's that's how I found out my mother's middle name was Ella. Cause I found her um, social security card ah! and I was like, who's, who's Ella, Mary Ella. <laughs> and I said, do you have a middle name? And she's like, yeah. I said, is it Ella? And then she was like, how did you find that out? And I was uh-uh. like, <laughs> but you get to be the docent of your own story in mm-hmm. some ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And you get to, Introduce, reintroduce yourself or reimagine yourself, in ways, and that gets shared out. Which is why we wanted to do these conversations with Black women who are older, so we could tell our own stories. I just don't feel like there's enough, like intentional space for our stories to be told, either in retrospective or in first person. Like what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. know. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: That's so one of the things that came along with my family structure because I was so close to my grandparents and like literally Mm -hmm. like they gave me breakfast every day even though we lived in harlem my grandfather had a car so he drove me to school every day Mm -hmm. and my mother because she was uh, voraciously aspirational i did not go to a harlem neighborhood school Mm -hmm. i went to school on the upper west side Mm -hmm to PS 166, mm-hmm. PS Public School 166 mm-hmm. in New York, which is the school where JD Salinger went. Mm-hmm. And it was integrated mm-hmm. and by race and by class, mm-hmm. it, it was a really interesting place. And so my grandfather used to drive me to school. So spent a lot of time with them and in weird ways was my mother and I were like siblings. Mm-hmm in relation to my grandparents Mm -hmm. and so when my grandmother died first and then my grandfather and so
0: it was just how old were you when your grandmother passed
1: i was 24 my grandmother passed after i was married Mm -hmm. so yeah we got married in may and she passed in the following february or Mm -hmm. march Mm -hmm. and um And my grandfather died four years later. Mm -hmm. And so it was just my mother and I, my mother's brother had died. My uncle had died also. Mm -hmm. And so we took care of cleaning out the apartment, you know, Mm -hmm. on our own. And, um, my grandfather had always kept, he also photographed besides writing poetry Mm -hmm. and playing music. And he also photographed and taught me how to photograph Mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. And so, in my grandmother's dresser drawer, there was one particular drawer where he kept all the pictures. Mm-hmm. And it was pictures that he'd taken, pictures that my mother had taken, but also pictures that people gave to our family. You know, like your cousin gives you yeah. their baby's baby picture yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so when my grandfather passed, one of the things that I knew that I wanted, and and I had already started photographing myself yeah. at that time, and were because actually my grandfather lived to meet my son. So that was also cool, but I wanted the photographs. I wanted all the photographs. So I have them Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are stories for me. Mm -hmm. Some of them I remember, like, I mean, some of the images I'm in, so I have memories of, of what they were or what they might've been, Mm -hmm. but they're also just a huge amount of pictures of, the neighborhood, like mm-hmm. like what Harlem looked at, at like at that time. Mm-hmm. Or parades mm-hmm. or, you know, people just being fly in the street. Yeah, like yeah. just yeah. amazing stuff. Yeah. And there are stories that I make up around those images. Mm-hmm. And they're also they're prompts for me to remember mm-hmm. my family members, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like if we're not looking at that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, and talking about it. They disappear. They do.
0: You know, I um, had a person hit me up on social media, on Facebook, and they expressed some disappointment. (laughs) They were like, I thought that the Black Girl's Guide was going to be like you telling us how to manage like our hot flashes. Like you were going to be giving us like recipes or herbal remedies or that you were going to talk more about the physiological parts of this and so this whole like talking to people about their lives doesn't make sense to me hmm. and they also they, they said that I was a bit I forget the word they used they didn't like the rhythm the way that I spoke either what <laughs> so it was what? yeah it was, it was it was interesting and I was like oh, okay 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 well here's the thing the black girl's guide to surviving menopause wasn't not actually meant to be an exploration of the just the physiological aspects of what it means to age, what it means to go through changes, plural. It really was meant to be these stories out loud, right? Because you do make up your own stories. Like when you don't have access to the people who were either in your family or your friends who had maybe are a little bit older than you or definitely older than you to say, how did you experience like these changes in your your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be? And to have them tell you to your face so you can experience them in a different way, mm-hmm. right? to experience your mom in a different way or your grandmother in a different way.
1: I think it's also part of surviving menopause, and I don't know that I've survived it yet. <laughs> I, it seems to be going on freaking forever. <laughs> I don't even have a uterus anymore and (laughs) there's still stuff happening. I don't know. like,
0: what is up with that? But
1: part of surviving it is understanding the ways that you are, that you remain a woman and a human being. Yeah. And that there's more, there's more to us than our biology. I mean, our biology is happening. Yeah. But along with going through that vast period of menopause, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of stuff that happens during that time. My mother passed during that time. Mm -hmm. My daughter graduated from college. My daughter went to college, Mm -hmm. graduated from college. Mm -hmm. My son got married Mm and moved to Idaho. 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 Like, you know, all kinds of things have happened over that time that contribute to how I'm continuing to evolve as a person and a woman. And that I have to negotiate all of these things that are happening in my mind and my body as these other things are happening in my life like so it's a it's a holistic it was really
0: interesting she's like what are you talking about and it was it was a pretty passionate response Mm. of a pushback to be like that's not what i need Mm. so i was like oh and so once you know this is new territory for me to have people receive something that i'm offering and then get to critique it because that's what people get to do you know mm-hmm. it's like you put something out in the universe then you say hey i'm gonna put this thing out and you get to experience this thing there are gonna be some people who experience the thing and be like huh that's interesting i think i would like to continue to experience this and there are gonna some be some people like that's confusing but i'm gonna hang in there mm-hmm. we'll see what happens and there's some people gonna be like this is a crock of shit
1: <laughs> I don't like this. This sounds
0: crazy to me. And there are gonna be people who like get really upset. Who are like, you suck. And I don't think sh- this person who I don't know at all was like, you suck. It was like I wasn't giving them what they needed, mm-hmm. right? And I felt like what I wanted to say to folk, which I continue to will continue to say to folk, and which is why I wanted you to be a part of this project and the other people who have said yes to telling stories. is like, you know what? I think what we need is our voices. Mm -hmm. Now, if the voices that are being presented to you are not giving you what you need, hang with us. Mm -hmm. I think eventually we'll get to some of those voices that will give you what you need, perhaps, but if it doesn't, it's okay. Like that's the offering. You know, you don't always have to accept the offering that's put on the table for you or on the plate. You'd be like, no, thank you. I would, prefer something different but the offering of our voices and our stories I know like listening to you talk I think about Cynthia Brown often like Mm -hmm. I I think of you all as like big sisters right so there are people who I've had conversations with who I could see as like a mom you know Mm -hmm. but then there are folk who are close enough to me in age that I think of like big sisters and Mm -hmm. big sisters tell you secrets uh, yeah. <laughs> they y'all, y'all get up off information, you be like, so here's the thing. Yeah. There's some good ass sex happening over sixty. Oh, and I was <laughs> And I was like, shout out Courtney Reed Egan for letting me know that. That's an incredible thing. I mean,
1: that's the thing about the formulaicness of, okay, here's a guide, here's how you can because if you li- if you listen to all of the mm, I don't know if you read all the literature and do all the listening or my daughter works in a sex toy store. Mm -hmm. So she sells sex toys. They've got every kind of, um, lubricant Mm -hmm. you could ever want to imagine Mm -hmm. and like all different kinds of stuff. And when I go to visit her, like we've gone to the store Mm -hmm. and she's like, do you need lube? Like that's like one of the big, like she's because, and the thing that they'll talk about with customers that come into the store Like they very gently want to talk to people yeah. about how important lube is. is because as yeah. you age, yeah. blah blah blah, and you dry out and blah blah blah. I'm sorry, that as yet has
0: not been my experience. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my journey. That's
1: just not. That's, it's just not.
0: It's Shout not out. And
1: I feel incredibly fortunate yeah. Yeah. and yeah. excited about that. And. I've been having sex with the same person for forty years. That's a long
0: time. Forty <laughs>
1: years, and it, and in a lot of ways, it's it's better than it's ever been. Mm. And I mean, yeah, we were hot. We mm-hmm. like we actually were hot when mm. we were young, and we had sex a lot. Mm. Like. We, when we were first together, mm-hmm. he was like, I think we should have sex every other day. Or so, like, you know, it was just like yeah. ridiculous stuff like that. And maybe it's not as often sure. now, but it's so much better. Oh. It's so, it's mm-hmm. such a different, mm-hmm. it's like really has reached like a particular level of communication between mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. us
0: mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. different. I saw, um, Do you follow Afrosexology on Instagram? Only when you repost something. Uh Uh-huh. So they recently posted this wheel of pleasure. Did you see that? I saw that. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was all of the things that you can put on your, because you get to create your own wheel. It was Mm -hmm. like a template. He's like, here's a, a template of a wheel of pleasure. And there were different things that were up there, like cuddling or fingering or kissing or taking a bath together or taking a nap together or whatever Mm -hmm. and it was like there are things that you can experience pleasure that have nothing to do with penetration Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so you get to decide what's on your your wheel and i was like this is fascinating i would love to figure out like a wheel template to have some conversations with Mm. some older Black women, they be like, "What's on your wheel?" Mm-hmm. Because I also when I was like, "Do you, you know you can you got a wheel, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, like you,
1: you, you can, can do, choose. You, can, you choose. can choose. You
0: can you can absolutely choose, and to have that, if it's not already present with folk, to help people reimagine that being present, or if it's not been present before, to be like, "You know, you actually get to start some new stuff, yeah, right now." yeah you don't have to like be like well that that's just the has way passed. we've
1: always done it yeah. this is the way we've always done it yeah. if we can't do it like that then we're not gonna do it we're anymore. not gonna
0: do it Mm-mm. it's a wrap Mm-mm. it's a wrap and i was like i don't want that to be the case for myself and i certainly don't want that to be the case for other people and so i did feel like it was critical for me for my own well-being and happiness and health to talk to other people who i look at and say i see myself in you And can trust what you're saying to me yeah
1: so I think of that as a conversation that is relative to conversations around quality of life Mm -hmm. just because you're alive that doesn't mean you're you're living Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. there are ways to be alive and not really live yeah and I think it's the same with sexuality with sexual relationships Mm -hmm. those yeah you you can just have sex Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and -hmm. it can be like rudimentary and like Mm -hmm. standard or you can really like have pleasure like and enjoy communicating with this other person through your bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Quality of life is really important. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I
0: think, um, my cousin said to me the other day that she doesn't say goodbye to people anymore and she hasn't done it in a long time. She says, I'll see you later. Hmm. Or I'll see you soon. But she doesn't say goodbye. She said, I'm, I'm wondering why I started doing that. And I was like, well, I know for me, I, I shifted from saying, okay, bye, to being like, I see you soon, or I see you later. It was like when time became even more real to me, it was like, you know what? Don't say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't know if I felt like there was power in the goodbye that would usher someone into the the realm of the ancestors, which is like a really powerful thing to be like, my mouth could usher you into that. <laughs> but I wanted to be able to not have that be a part of that person's mm-hmm. destiny. So it's like, and I'm thinking about that now. It's not like I've been actively thinking about it. It's just like recently we literally had this conversation in the last 24 hours. So why do we say so long? Why do we say I'll see you soon mm-hmm. as opposed to goodbye? And I just think that as you become more in touch with your own mortality. Mm. Like the way that you interact with people, the way you greet people, the way you send people off, the way you extend yourself just feels different. yes I felt different? I'll right? say, yeah. I'll say. I really, and I've been
1: saying this a lot and it makes people really uncomfortable, but I, sorry, <laughs> like this is very real for me. I'm, I'm 61. And change mm-hmm. years old and my grandmother died when she was 68
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my paternal grandmother died when she was 94 mm-hmm. so I was thinking oh, on the outside I got 80 82 82 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well that's 20 years away mm-hmm. and 20 years I mean my daughter was born yesterday mm-hmm. and now she's 25 yeah i have much less time ahead of me Mm -hmm. than i have passed through Mm -hmm. and i don't have it to waste Mm -hmm. i'm not interested in wasting it Mm -hmm. i'm not interested in pleasing people anymore Mm -hmm. i'm not interested in shallow friendships Mm -hmm. like i'm really i just don't have time Mm -hmm. for that Mm -hmm. i don't Mm -hmm. i really want to do the things that are important to me be with people that are important to me, Mm -hmm. have really full Mm -hmm. conversations Mm -hmm. because this is all, this is all real and it's all going to be over soon. Yeah. So, you know, you raised, you called out Cynthia's name and her birthday was two weeks after mine. We were born the same year. Maybe it might've been a week. Her birthday is the eighth and mine's the 28th of Mm -hmm. September. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever the math is, we were very close in age and you know, she's an ancestor. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that a lot. So, yeah, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, important mm-hmm. for us to really make choices for ourselves mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. not
1: just let life happen to mm-hmm. us.
0: Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you think about how you have shape shifted from that 23-year-old Courtney who... <laughs> I don't mean no. <laughs> you can think that literally, literally or figuratively. Both, both, <laughs> and like, and what do you feel like your relationship is with this, this shape huh. that I? Because it's continuing to evolve. Like, you know, when you're born, and you've seen this with your own kids, babies change so fast mm. from the moment they come out of your womb. You're like. Yo, who is this Joe guy I just bought home two weeks ago? To then two, they're two years old. Like their hair, their skin tone, teeth, them being able to identify who they love and feel safe with—all mm-hmm. of that changes fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Like that first, well, I don't know, five years of life It's like so fast, and I feel like it's changing for me quickly again in a different way. Where it's like, oh. This is a new me. And I'm just wondering if you've noticed your shape shifting in ways now in this post-60s. Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my
1: formation, a lot of my younger life was in predominantly white spaces. And my parents were integrationists. They were very much about how do we access these tools of equality? Well, it was by you work really hard and you speak like this Mm -hmm. and you study this and you do like this and and then you get all the prizes Mm -hmm. all the benefits Mm -hmm. and the older i've gotten the more i've come to understand that that's not necessarily the case Mm -hmm. and also the older i've gotten the more deeply i have craved and especially since i moved to north carolina black community Mm -hmm. and especially the community of black women i mean it is very important to me to name myself as a black feminist Mm -hmm. and i've been saying a lot black feminism is not feminism in blackface Mm -hmm. like it is a whole thing it's a whole ass thing yeah that means (laughs) that means that you know i'm striving to be in solidarity and right relationship with black trans women, because I know that when they are free, I will be free. And so I work for their freedom. Like, so this Courtney, as a 23 year old, as a 25 year old, I was involved in housing justice work and we had a sweat equity co-op. That's where I lived in New York, did a lot of physical work, construction work, ran the boiler, like was on boards, protested in the streets, screamed at Ed Koch, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There are things about that life that are still present in this life. And in fact, I feel like in some ways I'm returning to Mm -hmm. some of that. Mm -hmm. But then there are other things that are new. Like I really am not interested in being respectable. Mm -hmm. I really do not give a flying Mm fuck. I have a hard time keeping myself from saying mm-hmm. whatever it is I feel like I need to say. Mm-hmm. Even though I know it's not always politic. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I just feel like I'm almost 62 years old. <laughs> I get to say what I want. Mm-hmm. like, And if people don't like it, that's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Keep it moving. Yeah. Like, We don't have to waste each other's time. We don't. Like, If we can't be real, then we don't
0: need to be. Let's- yeah. Find your person that's right. and I'll find mine. I might not be your person and that's yeah, okay. that's I guess, okay. I guess it's kind of like my response to the sister um, who did that. I was like, I might exactly. not be your person, sis. Exactly. And, and find your people. Yeah. Y'all are my people. I knew that when this happened and this was going to continue happening, happen, that I would find my people, but I wanted to start first with Focal. I was clear Are my people. I know you're my people. I know that the folk who are working with me behind the scenes are my people. Mm. And so I'm very clear you're going to journey with me and that the new people will be like, oh, I think we're people. (laughs) Oh shit, I think we are. And we'll find our way together. But I'm not interested in extractive relationships or transactional relationships. Mm -mm. I'm not interested in people who want to collaborate with me or partner with me because it's going to benefit them yeah. not because we can build something together like can we build something different and new we are we're kind of coming to the end of our conversation and and so in 2020 as a team i'm going to be working with folk to put together a physical guide to figure out what that's going to look like and it'll be available for purchase so our goal with this tangible guide is to get it out in 2021 so we're spending twenty twenty. Kind of excavating all the juicy bits that can go into this guide, and one of the juicy bits is that each person who does an episode gets to make an offering. Ooh! <laughs> Ooh. So yeah, so you, Courtney, get to make an offering that will live in the guide somewhere. We just got to figure out where to live, but it'll
1: live there. Awesome! Mm-hmm. So. Like, um and any kind of offering, like an image Anything. offering, a text offering, any yes. a recipe, yes.
0: And for right now, you get to maybe share a little bit about what perhaps would be an offering that you wanna, for folk who are listening to this conversation, what's an offering you would like to lift up to folk before we close out our conversation today?
1: Oh, well, I'm obsessed with archives. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage people to reflect on building family archives. Mm And taking care of some of those important materials that hold your stories. Mm -hmm. And also making notes Mm -hmm. so that the people that come after you know what these materials are Mm -hmm. and why they're important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also interested in letters, Mm -hmm. like letters that come in the mail Mm -hmm. that you write to people in your your handwriting Mm -hmm. with a pen. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that I introduced Taj to my mom's handwriting in that same video where I was like, do you want to see Nana's handwriting? He was like, yeah. And so I showed him her address book. And he was like, oh, because everything was in cursive. Very, I clearly graduated from high school in the 50s, pristine cursive. penmanship. Yes, And so, yes, the returning back to the, you get to be a docent for your family in this thing that's not a piece of artwork that you're not attached to but it's the artwork of your family mm-hmm. and it's, it's very personal and beautiful so yeah, yeah I want to thank you thank you for being a part of this episode today and of, of this canon oh. that is being created for black women um, as we navigate and negotiate this journey in this lifetime so I appreciate you I Appreciate. you Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. I really do hope that you enjoyed yourself. If you have another moment, I want to encourage you to check out our website. It's the Black Girl's Guide to That's the Black Girl's Guide to Our website gives you more insight into who we are, where we come from, what we believe, our values gives you an example of some of the past events that we've hosted in community that we look forward to hosting again at some point in the future and there's also a link for you to provide financial support for the work that it takes behind the scenes to put together the podcast and create original content the link on the page says support and it takes you to our patreon page and there you can select what kind of monthly donation you'd like to make to sustain our work five dollars a month ten dollars a month $15 a month are all appreciated. If you're unable to make a monthly sustaining commitment, you can also make a one-time donation to our work. There's information in the bottom of the notes of this episode for our Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal accounts. Check it out. Don't forget the listener letters. We really do want to hear from you guys. Tell us what you think. How are we doing? Are we bringing you the stories that you want to hear? Do you have questions for us? Do you have suggestions for episodes? Send us an email to decolonizingthecrone at gmail.com. That's decolonizingthecrone at gmail.com. We really do want to hear from you. So once again, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon on the dark side of the moon.